This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Hello, folks, and welcome aboard Episode 13. As many of you know, I love flying airplanes, and no matter what the size and type, I enjoy my days off flying slowly over the diverse terrain, seeing the world from a perspective only a pilot can enjoy. As a matter of fact, I love flying so much that I not only fly for fun, I fly for a living as an airline captain. My view from the cockpit of an airliner is wonderful. The difference between flying as a hobby and flying as a captain is I get paid to see these wonderful sights and visit destinations around the country and the world. Many of you listening to me also find these prospects of flying around the world appealing, and that's why you're listening to me today. With this podcast, I hope I'll bring you into the cockpit and into the world of aviation careers to discover if this is a career field you would enjoy. Remember, there are many jobs in aviation, even though we focus primarily on flying jobs because that's what I do for a living. And I also want to bring you into the entire world of aviation careers by interviewing people who are involved in the many other fields of aviation. If you want to hear from one very passionate person who loves the world of aviation but doesn't fly, you should listen to Max Flight in Episode 5. Max is the host of the Airplane Geeks podcast, and when he's not working in the aviation field, he's talking about aviation. Max has held many jobs in aviation and has a very interesting perspective when it comes to aviation careers. You can listen to Max's interview by going to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash five. I think you'll really enjoy listening to what Max has to say. Well, today's episode, I want to share with you excerpts from an interview with Robert Sigliano from the New Pilot Podlog. I was a guest on Robert's new pilot pod blog, and we talk about aviation careers because he's actually looking at the possibility of changing careers possibly later on life when he actually retires or possibly sooner. So let's listen to that interview as I talk to Robert about working in the aviation career field after age 40. Welcome, Carl. Hey, Robert. Uh, thanks for having me on this evening. It's, it's terrific to be here and talk, talk to you and also your listeners. Called, I really appreciate it. What I've been doing is recently is having um, episodes on what you can do after getting your private pilot's license. And I know that uh, once I've had my private pilot's license, I've been thinking about what I can do turning my hobby into a profession, uh, part-time and maybe even full-time down the road once I give up my uh, current career. Um, so I figured I'd have you on board to talk about what a uh, private pilot can do after getting their license in the way of career. Some good advice. Also, what they can do just to keep uh, the motivation up and have fun in general aviation flying. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your new podcast, what it's about, and what is the, the niche you're trying to uh, fill, which, by the way, I think you fill very well. Oh, thanks. I appreciate the kind uh, comments. The Aviation Careers podcast really was developed for, you know, just what you said there, for people that are looking to get into it as a career or to do aviation part-time and to make money part-time. You know, we talked before about making aviation, or excuse me, your hobby of aviation, something that you can make money with. And that's what we all want to do. We want to turn our hobbies into things that we can make money with. Aviation Careers Podcast, I put it together because for the past decade, I've been working with 
pilots that are on furlough or on leaves of absence with the airlines. And I help them find jobs while they're on this furlough. A furlough means uh, basically like being laid off. And I wanted to give people advice, but I also didn't want to just give people advice. I wanted people to find out about the different careers in aviation. Of course, a lot of what we talk about is flying, but there's so many other things out there they can do. And what I want to do is I want to find out, find those people. I want to talk to them and find out in their words what it is they do. What do you do? When when you get up in the morning, what do you do? When do you get to work? And and uh, when you become a pilot, uh, how do you get ready for your, your flight that day? And where do you stay on the overnights? When you're a manager of an airport, you know, do you have to do you get up at 2 in the morning to get there? How do they get all those baggage carts together? And, you know, how do they manage things? And that's what, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to discover because I'm just as curious as everybody else about people's jobs. I've been around all these, but I want to get into their lifestyle. And then after that, I, I like to give recommendations for people what they can go towards as far as books and as far as services, as far as maybe even websites that they can look at to see what all these aviation careers are about. So really, that's what that's what I do. I give advice. I, I also hopefully will be able to relate by having people on my show that will actually relate to you what it's like to be that person, that airport manager, that flight attendant, that pilot, that mechanic, and then give a little bit of advice. And it's, you know, it's really, it's interesting because it's, it's become an incredible passion of mine to do this. Uh, you know, I, I really like my job. I love, I'm an airline captain and I really like it. And I, the thing I like the most is the people and the people, not just the pilots, the flight attendants, but all the people involved in the airlines because people that fly, people that are in aviation are truly passionate people. They love being around airplanes no matter what they're doing. If they're fixing the plane, if they're getting it ready for a flight, if they're checking people in, they absolutely love it. So that's the reason I started this this podcast is I want you and also your listeners and everybody else to find out what it's like to, to be in that career of aviation. And uh, your enthusiasm really comes through. And, uh, you know, I know you personally, we've, we've met... Uh, we were down in Sun and Fun together. You did the interviews. I, I edited them for you. They were great. And, and you do have a wealth of knowledge. And I think people listening to your, your podcast will get really good advice and really learn about the aviation industry. And really, it, it's not about just being an airline captain. It's, you know, you, you've had some really good episodes. You've talked about being a part-time CFI. And that hits home to me because I have a full-time job. I have children, two in college, one almost in college, a wife, a mortgage, everything else that goes along with it. And, you know, listen to your podcast. You get, you get the questions that you see in the, in the magazines all the time. I want to do this. I want to, I love flying. I love being about around airplanes. Cannot make that career change now because I cannot either take the money out, uh, invest the money into getting all this licenses and, and ratings and whatnot, all the training, or I cannot do the lifestyle of an airline captain. And, and the thing is, is that everybody thinks about going to aviation is being that, that airline captain. You talk about things such as part-time CFI, uh, mechanics, the airline captain, a regional, uh, being a pilot for the regional airline. So you, you talk all about this and what are some of the, Really, uh, some of the questions you get that my listeners might be interested in, you know, as you know, my podcast is about me 
well, at the time, a newly minted uh, private pilot. I guess you can't say that anymore. It's, it's coming up four years now for me. But, you know, fairly new pilot, somebody who just got their license, whether it's a sport pilot license, whether it's a private pilot, or, you know, instrument rating, it says, hey, I love this. What else can I do with this license? I really want to get into this profession. I think he even talked about uh, the mechanics. One thing I was very interested in, you know, my youngest son is going to college, going to be going to college. He's a senior in high school coming up in September, and he doesn't really know what he wants to do. I think it's a boy thing. My daughter was planning. She knew exactly what she wanted. My son's not so much. And I keep trying to push him towards or guide him towards being like an, uh, a mechanic. And he had a great episode on uh, mechanics. You, you interviewed people out of school about to, uh, to become mechanics. And the one thing that was really, truly interesting that I took away from that, from it, and I talked to my son about it, is that you don't only have to work on airplanes. You know, it's not all about fixing, you know, the, the Cessna that broken down or fixing the Boeing 7, trip, you know, 777 or fixing the skin on an airline. A lot of industry, uh, I think it was, uh, you said it was uh, some energy plant uses big engines, turbines from airlines. And mechanics, you get that license and you can work there. I even heard that to work on um, roller coasters in amusement parks, you need to be an aviation mechanic. So there's a lot out there. Um, so I think it's very interesting that you, you broaden the mind of everybody out that says, hey, you don't have to only be a pilot, which I'm sure 95% of the people out there want to be, but there are other careers for a private somebody who loves aviation. Well, I think it's important what you just said that if people want to become a pilot. A lot of people that are listening to this, they are pilots. If you're a private pilot, you are a pilot. Being a professional pilot doesn't necessarily mean being paid to actually fly. You know, it's it's what you bring to it. Uh, you know, going back to what you said about the mechanics, you know, think about this. Another thing to add to that, you know, you talked about the the uh, generation energy generation plants. Also, we had one person who went and worked on radars for boats, big huge yachts. You know, they came out and those skills that you actually obtain when you become a mechanic, when you become a pilot, they actually can be used in other fields. Think about this, where you've become a private pilot, you now have all these decision making skills that that have been fostered and have grown. And you may have some new ones also that you didn't think of before, See, because flying is all about making decisions. It's not just stick and rudder, that's for sure. And, and you know, you touched on another point. Everybody talks about the flying jobs, the becoming an airline captain, et cetera. That, that's not – there's so many other jobs out there. Now, yes, primarily the, the flying jobs are at the airlines, but there's many others. We talked about corporate jobs. You know, a good 30% of the jobs are in corporate. But there's other things. There's aerial application. There's flight instructing. And your point of, you know, what does somebody do with their private pilot and what can they do to become actually more passionate about flying or become more involved in flying as a career? Gosh, one of the ways is why don't you become a ground instructor? There's something that's that's a short hurdle. In other words, it's not that expensive to become a ground instructor and start teaching and become a sport pilot instructor. So there's, again, there's all those avenues. And like with your, with your son, you're talking to him. There's, you can... You can always say you are a mechanic. And and one important point here, too, about flight instructors and about pilots, when you go to your local airport, okay, you're talking about not, not uh, Newark or JFK or LaGuardia, when you go to your local airport, the person that you normally look up to the most, the person that you look to for advice is usually 
the flight instructor. You know, we, we talk about the big glamorous job as an airline pilot. If an airline pilot walks into a small airport, what does he do? She do? She goes and goes to the instructor and says, hey, listen, I need your help to be checked out in this airplane because I've been flying bigger planes and I, I don't know how to fly the small planes like, like I used to. I need some help to get back to that point where my skills are, are safe enough and, and I'm able to fly this small plane. So that, that's something that people don't realize. It's a paradigm shift on the, on the airline side. And a lot of people think that, you know, the, the flight instructor's at the bottom. To me, the flight instructor's at the top. That is like one of the most important people there. So what advice would you give to a person who says, okay, I, got, I have my private pilot's license. I really love to fly. Can't give up my career. I want to do it part-time. Can a person make money part-time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And as a matter of fact, uh, I'm not sure I've ever mentioned this before, but I started flying. I spent about 10 years before I got into flying full-time. And part of that was my own personal flying business, and then I transitioned in, into actually flight instructing part-time. And this is really interesting. It was one of my episodes in the beginning where there's a person that I interviewed that actually flight instructs part-time and makes really good money part-time instructing, and I'll tell you why. He has the ability to relate information very well to his students, and he is very sought after. And you know what happens when you work part-time? This is really interesting, is that people realize that you're on a tight schedule, so they won't cancel their lessons. They always want to make it to your lesson, and you become much more efficient in the money you make. When we flight instruct, we are being we are billing by the hour. When you flight instruct as an independent flight instructor, you actually can make quite a bit of money part-time. Say your airport, I don't know, they charge $35, $45 for instruction. Well, now you're working part-time. You're making that yourself. So maybe after work you go and you, you make maybe a hundred, two hundred bucks, maybe more on the weekends. And that's that's extra money in your pocket. You can I personally and I don't have much time to instruct. I will in gosh, the few days that I get to instruct, I'll make maybe an extra five hundred dollars a month part time as an instructor. I'm a good example of that. You know, I I work full time as a pilot with an airline, but I, I part time can make an extra five hundred. If I pushed it and I wanted to do many more things and maybe got rid of all the podcasting I was doing, I could make quite a bit more money. Another uh, example I'll use, too, I have a buddy of mine, he decided to buy some gliders, and he went down to the airport and started giving rides, and <laughs> he was making about $3,000 every weekend just doing rides. It was incredible. Of course, that's in, in the summer months and, and the nicer weather. So, yeah, you can make some extra money, but, you know, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to really have to, 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 to work at working the, the job part-time and and making sure you have the skills and also you're out there marketing. But once your name gets out there, people will come to you. You know, it's just building that business takes a little while. Uh, and again, I talked about ground school. I used to do that too. I mean, I, at the end of the day, I'd go and do some ground school. So there's so many ways to do that. And, and you can just, and here's somebody that's a part-time flight instructor and he still has another career. He loves his career, but he loves flying and aviation. And so he's able to meld the two and, and make quite a bit of extra money. So it's definitely, you can, you can do it in so many different ways. One thing though, I, I will caution against doing, and I don't, I, you should consider it is if you're going to go to the airport and say, people always say, oh, well, you know, pump gas, do things like that. That sometimes is good. 
I've given that advice to some people, and I somewhat regretted it in some instances because they became so involved with their job at the airport that they couldn't fly with me as much anymore, and therefore that their flying kind of fell behind. So there's there's an example. It might hurt a little bit. So you really have to you have to balance that. It's a balancing act. Like everything else in life, you have to balance it. Now, how difficult it, would it be to be a part-time, let's say, uh, ground school instructor? Like my experience is that the ground school is given by pilots at the FBO or the flight school. So they use their own uh, CFIs to also do uh, the, the ground school training. How difficult did it, would you say it is for a freelance, I guess it would be like a freelance ground instructor, to start up their own business, to maybe do it out of their basement or their home office or whatever, or going to a, to an, a flight school and say, hey, I, I, I'm a, you know, a ground school instructor, can I teach ground school for you? That's a that's a great question. I'm great. I'm glad you brought that up, because in my experience, what I've done is I've partnered with local flight schools, and I'll say to them, "Listen, uh, can I do your ground school for your for the written exam?" A lot of times, flight schools have written exam courses, and they have their own instructors teaching it. Well, a lot of times, I found that their instructors they want to be out there flying. They don't want to be teaching ground school, so you can jump in there and actually do those those classes. Another thing that I've done is I've I put together courses on my own. Say it's on the G1000, which that's not something I know a lot about, but let's pretend the G1000 I knew a lot about. I would put a course together on the G1000 and teach that in a classroom at a flight school. And I go to the flight school and say, hey, listen, these are your customers. Tell them we're going to do this class. There's going to be 10 people in the class. You can charge for it and then just give me X amount of dollars for it. You know what's interesting is a lot of times I will actually keep the money for myself and they just like the fact that more people are coming into their flight school and being introduced to flying. One thing that, you know, I came to an agreement with one flight school where they said, okay, at the beginning of each of your classes, you, you just go through what we do here at this flight school and, and tell them all about the flight school, and then you can do your class. It was a form of advertising for them almost. So, yeah, you can do that too. And and many of these schools, these flight schools, have classes at local universities, you know, in those night programs, and they ask instructors to go out there and teach those classes. That's another thing you can do. You can go out there and teach ground school there. So you have the local universities, the colleges, and their night programs. You have special programs you can do. You can do programs on arrivals and, and departures, say, IFR, arrivals and departures. There's, there, It is limitless on what you can teach out there and what you can charge for in these classes. And what's neat is that you can make the entry point for the person coming to your class very easy, but but you can make some good money yourself. Say you make it only... Uh, $20 a head for the class. But if you've, you know, you have a hundred people in that class and that's quite a bit of money, you know, that you can make at the end of the day. Um, but that's, and again, you'd have to coordinate all those facilities to do that. And these are, these are all the different ideas. And these are the reasons I was actually able to make more money as a flight instructor than I did as a airline pilot for the first three years of actual flying with the airlines. It's because you just, you have to think, think out of the box and you really are, you are your own business, and you have to think of yourself as being the owner of your own business. You're, you're providing a service when you go out there, so it, it's doable. Well, you bring up something very interesting. You know, everybody thinks about um, going into flying and, t- and teaching and flying, and they think of CFIs. But as you just stated here, there's a lot that you can teach, not just basic ground school, but, but uh, be, uh, teach specific 
uh, targeted classes, whether it's on a GPS, the G1000, how to do, like you said, approaches, or just specific, very niche type uh, instruction. So you can make a, you can make a name for yourself. You you can f- fill a void, and hopefully people will come to you. Oh yeah, I mean a good example is Max Trescott. I mean yep. he yep. taught a lot of classes on G one thousand. I'll tell you what, he does all right with that. He's not an airline pilot, <laughs> you know. Mister G one thousand, I have his book on my shelf. Yes, actually, I'm looking at it right now. That's why I mentioned it. <laughs> Outstanding book, by the way. Oh, but, but I highly recommend it. Yes, I, yes. And there's so many other things like that. I mean, you could, you could do, this is really cool. You got guys out there that, and you can specialize in tailwheel training. You get the, the recreational flyers that are out there and you can bring them over and, and say, Hey, I'm going to teach you how to fly this tailwheel. I have a friend that, that actually I have a couple friends that fly steermans and they teach in steermans and they make money flying those steermans because they have so much experience teaching in those. But you also have to realize that you have to have that niche. You have to have that selling point. Just take one thing and go with it. You know, become, and that's the reason I call my website expertaviator.com, my blog, is become an expert in something and then go from there and keep building on it. It builds your confidence, but it also, as an instructor, someone trying to sell something, it enables you to move into that field very quickly, but it also enables you to move into other fields. For instance, I do a lot of programs about instrument flying because that's what I do all day long and that's what I talk about all day long. But I also do other programs about sleep deprivation and and other pro- safety programs about weather. And and that just is fed off the uh, that ability to get in the door with one thing and then you continue on. If people like to hear from you in the style that you teach, they will continue to go back to you. And not every instructor is liked by everybody. I mean, you you know, some people like a specific doctor and they like it, you know, but other people don't like that doctor. That's, that's a great thing. You choose your instructor based on who you like. And uh, and that that's an important concept I think people don't understand. And I think it's really important to understand that, yes, you you can actually sell yourself. There's something unique about you that that people will resonate with and they will connect with you and say, yeah, I know that's what I, that's the kind of guy I want to fly with. You know, he's, he lives on Long Island. That's where I grew up. So you have a connection there, that type of thing. And that, that makes perfect sense. Cause I know that my grand school instructor, uh, she no longer instructs cause she got a job in the airlines. But if, if I was ever going to go for other ratings or need other ground schools, I would definitely follow her because of her style, how well she taught and just how much fun the class was. And, like you said, you, you get them in the door for one subject, and you can bring them back for other other subjects. Oh, sure, and, and you know, and we keep talking about teaching. I think I think we get, we probably should get away from that. Let's talk about other things you can make money with. Um, I actually made quite a bit of money with doing aerial photography, but I never took a picture. And the reason I made money doing that is I got my commercial license. And I was able to find things on a map. I got to know the Tampa Bay area really, really well. And they would tell me, I want to take a picture of this house in the corner of Hillsborough and Nebraska. And I'd say, okay, I know exactly where that is. Get your camera ready. I'm going to get you over that point in just in minutes and start taking pictures. And if you can maneuver and, and get them in the air and have them get their shots and get on the ground as quick as possible. You know what? They're going to use you again. And I used to do aerial photography at least once, twice a week. And there's so many different places that you can go to for aerial photography. Lawyers. Lawyers are great. I used to do a lot of work for a lot of lawyers where 
they would be uh, conveying properties and they want to take a picture of a property from the air or a restaurant. They want to take a picture of a restaurant from the air. It's a lot cheaper to do it in a fixed-wing aircraft. And if you know what you're doing, you can get over that spot and take the picture. I've I've actually, the the shortest photography flight I did, I charged the guy 12 minutes. And yeah. and I actually did a, I did a photography flight in 12 minutes from the time we started the engine until we landed. And that was because he was taking a picture of a dog park at the end of the runway for the newspaper. And I said, okay, I'm taking off. I'm going to take a right turn, take your pictures, and we're going to land. And that's all we did. <laughs> so there, there's many different ways. I mean, there's, I have a buddy, he used to, he would take pictures of highways and he made a ton of money doing that, just taking pictures of highways all the time. Um, it, there's, there's just a modicum of different things you can do. Aerial spraying. Um, there's, you know, people that do, um, you know, even with, uh, going out and with certain organizations such as the Florida you know, or any of the, uh, highway patrols. And there's, there's just so many different things you can get into there. I mean, there's probably listeners out there that are, are police officers, and they don't may not realize that they have a probably have a pretty big uh, aviation department they can go towards or that they can find, and and get into that organization. I've had students do that. They were cops and said, "Hey, I want to go fly helicopters," and they do that. But first, they have to get their fixed wing license, and they did that. So there's just just so many different avenues. There's there's so many ways to keep motivated, and there's there's a million different careers out there that you can get into in flying, actual flying itself. But uh, but there's also other ones, and I, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about that. I'd, I'd love to talk about that, too, at some point. Oh, absolutely. So let, let's just stay on the flying part right, right now, just for a minute or two. Um, now, you bring up some interesting careers, you know, um, agricultural spraying, photography, law enforcement, a couple other things come to mind, banner towing, glider towing, all right? Now, do you need your commercial pilot's license for all these? For most of them, yeah, yeah. Unless you're doing the pho- photographs yourself for your own use, and uh, there are there are ways around. Uh, but no, yes, you, you need to have your commercial license, and I'll tell you why. Because at one day you're going to cross that line, and you're going to do a flight where, gosh, is this commercial or is this? Yeah, maybe I should. But it, the easiest thing to do is just get your commercial license. I mean, because it, right. it's such a fun license to get anyway. I mean, it's it's all about sticking rudder flying. It's a blast, you know. And that's what I've heard. Now, let me ask you this question for maybe those listeners who don't know: Can you go from your private pilot's license to your commercial, or do you need to get your uh, uh, instrument rating first before going to commercial? No, you can you can actually go to that commercial, but uh, you're not going to be able to do much. You need need to get that instrument to to be be able to get hired by anybody and be on anybody's insurance. You need to get your instrument. Nobody's going to hire you. Yeah, you know, it's really an, it's a big insurance issue, and and you know look at Victoria Newville, she she could tell you that, but uh, yeah, good advice. I I was trying to re- read on what the order in which to get my licenses or ratings, and you you read that about well you don't need to get your permit rating first or your commercial, but you know good advice. You know, nobody talks. Yeah, about- nobody's gonna hire you though, or I, I shouldn't say that. You're you're probably not gonna get hired for. But it makes you can't sense. do much. Yeah, yeah. Sense. Um, all right, we talked a lot about flying careers or, or flying. Uh, what you can do with your uh, your license, uh, fly uh, in a way of flying. Now, what what are some other things? Let's say you know somebody says, "Yeah, I'm, I'm a private pilot. I only only want to be a private pilot, but I want to stay in aviation. I love aviation. I love being around airports. I love being around aviation people. I love being around airplanes. What what else could they do? You know, it's interesting you brought that up because. Just today, I was at Tampa International Airport, 
And there were all the people from the Hillsborough County Aviation Authority were there. And, you know, they, I've become friends with most of them. And almost every one of them has their private pilot's license. Some have their instrument commercial and CFI. And they are in aviation. They, and, and own their own airplanes, some of them. But they're, but they're not flying airplanes. Uh, the one is in charge of general aviation for Hillsborough County. The other one's actually in charge of the Hillsborough County Aviation Authority. There are people that manage those airports and they actually become involved with aviation even though they're not commercial pilots. Let's, let's just say commercial pilots in general. You know, don't get your commercial license, just get your private pilot's license. But you know what? Because they have that private pilot's license, they bring so much more to their job because they understand what pilots need and what controllers need. I have friends that are air traffic controllers, and that's actually something I'm, I'm starting to put together for some more interviews is I have a lot of friends actually that are air traffic controllers, and they said, you know what, this isn't for me. And they can go in and actually make quite a bit of money as an air traffic controller. And, and they love it. They absolutely love the fact that they can actually talk to a pilot and know what they're feeling, know what they're going through. And the, the other person that, that really is, it's interesting. You know, you, you look at people in aviation, people that start FBOs, the fixed base operators, the people that actually sell the gas and, and manage the airport. There's a, and there's quite a bit of money in that. Aircraft sales. I mean, I, uh, I know quite a few folks that got into aircraft sales. And they've, they've done all right. As a matter of fact, one of the former presidents of the NBAA up in, uh, he actually was living in New Jersey and he, he was able actually to buy himself a Baron after one of his commissions on the sale of a, of a large jet. So there's, there's, nice. that's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> sweet, actually. So there's so many other things. As a matter of fact, the, gosh, you know, the other day I was just talking to a person who was in, he, you know, he flies, you know, privately, but he decided he wanted to get into the charter business. He wanted to start, uh, flying people around and, and he was, he was awesome to talk to because he was so excited about aviation, but he doesn't, he doesn't want to fly the airplanes. Uh, I, another great example and someone I really like is, uh, Max Flight. I mean, he actually, he's so passionate about flying and he's involved in aviation. He actually works for an engine manufacturer and he loves being in around airplanes, but he doesn't fly. I mean, he's been in an airplane, but he doesn't fly at all. So you have all this, and then you have legal. I, I was, um, uh, Speaking with a gentleman that has a champ, and he's a aviation attorney, and he got into law, and he wanted to parlay that into something he could do with airplanes. He got into aviation law, although a small niche, he still was able to make money with that. And engineers, and there's there's just again, most of the jobs are not actually flying the airplanes. But I tell you what, no matter what you do, I just watched uh, the Boeing Triple Seven video where they show the first flight. And the thing that struck me the most wasn't the airplane taking off. It was the crowd of people on the ground watching the airplane. It took an army of people, not mo most of them, almost all of them weren't pilots that could, that made that happen. They're the people that made that aircraft take off off the ground. They have a lot of pride in what they do and they should. And that's what's exciting about aviation is, is that it's, it's so, it's so different. I mean, I think what happens is you can reach out and touch what it is you do. You can look at if you're a gate agent, uh, if you're a customer service agent. I was a reservation agent with the airlines when I was on furlough. I can see that I, I was able to help somebody get to their destination. I was able to, to actually assist somebody in changing their reservation because they had a, a death in the family, et cetera. And those, those are great impacts. But, but you also, when you go to the airport, you look outside and 
you see the airplane take off, there's still something that resonates in everybody's mind, just like when they were a little kid and see that thing take off, and they say, I was part of that. I helped that. And let's not forget uh, what your co-host on Suck My Gathcast does, Victoria. She, she's in, in aviation insurance. Boy, I'm glad you said that because I'm actually going to be interviewing her on one of my shows <laughs> and, and her boss. And, and that, as a matter of fact, uh, yeah, I, I think I can mention this. My, my girlfriend sells aviation insurance. She has a very niche, very small niche where they sell insurance. And, and it's balloons. They're the biggest insurer of balloons in the country. And that's, and they, they sell to commercial operators of balloons. And most of the balloons that you see up there are insured by her company. The aviation, there's so many different types of aviation insurance too. But, uh, primarily, yeah, you're going to be insuring instructors and, you know, flight instructors. You should have insurance too. So she sells insurance, uh, for, and so does Victoria for, uh, flight instructors. And that's, there's just, and what's cool is you're in the you're in insurance, you're in aviation, you're doing two of the things that you really like, and you can take say you uh, aviation goes south and you can't get a job, you can go out and sell insurance in many other fields. It's it's really really neat. Um, and, and, and you know we <laughs> it, what's amazing is we could, we could sit here for hours and talk about all those different jobs out there. People don't realize that there's there's there are people that work on the jetways of aircraft. And this was something that really impressed me. I was uh, in New York somewhere and I was talking to a guy on the jetway and he's sitting there fixing the jetway and then telling me all about these airplanes. I was like, man, how do you know all this about those airplanes? He says, well, you know, I, I'm sitting on the jetway and there's an airplane there and the mechanics come by and they say, hey, you want to see the airplane? And they let me on and take a look at the airplane. So they've been in more airplanes than I have, more airliners than I have. It's amazing, you know. So you still get your fix of aviation, even though you're doing those type of jobs. So any uh, insurance salesmen out there who also are private pilots and love to fly, maybe they should sell insurance to uh, pilots and balloons. Yes, balloons and and there's whole insurance, et cetera. But uh, it's it's a smaller field and there's more there's more cars than airplanes. So you, you know you can sell more car insurance, but but it's a, it's a neat field. It's a niche, and you just have to work yourself into it. It's uh, something somebody can look into. That's you know. Oh so. yeah. Absolutely. And if you love it, I mean, if you love the field, you're going to, you got to you work your way into it. I mean, I, I never thought I would get into, you know, anything with aviation. I was basically doing programming and I said to myself, you know, I, I want to get out of this. And I got into other things with, with shipping and aviation. I was in the seafood business for a while. And, but I really wanted to get up and fly the airplanes. I loved being in them, but I wanted to be up front looking around. So that's what I got into. Um, and I have, I just talked to another charter guy who said, you know, I have no interest in flying, but I love putting together trips so people can go fly to the Keys and enjoy their vacations. I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> he says, I, I like watching the airplanes, but I want to be home every night. I don't want to be out on the road all day. And I see how hard these pilots work, and I don't want to do that, you know. <laughs> So, you know, don't get me wrong. There's, you know, everybody, you know, that's into, into flying, there's, there, there's a lot that you give up, but there's also a lot of, you know, benefits that, that you get from being up there and watching the sunset sometimes twice in one day. Back to uh, flying careers, right? Everybody thinks whoever wants to become a pilot, they think of the traditional route, right? You get your uh, private pilot's license, uh, instrument rating, commercial, CFI, CFI, CF, double I, whatever, multi-engine. And then they build time and they become typically the next step would be a work for a regional airline. That's typically how it works. Nobody, does anybody really jump from, you know, building time to, you know, the big airlines? Uh, that 
does happen every so often. It depends on who you know. A lot of, uh, I'll give you a good example. When we had the, the last quote unquote pilot shortage, uh, it's an interesting term. We can talk about that later, but the last hiring cycle. Uh, I know people that went from flying a 172 to flying a regional jet and within, gosh, I think it was eight months from getting, starting their license, they were actually in a 737. Flying the right seat. Now, how does that happen? Uh, you're friends with a chief pilot. Uh, I have another friend that whose father was a chief pilot, and he actually went to work for the airlines when he was 18, and he had to wait till he was 23 to become captain. He had to sit in the right seat for years, uh, and then he upgraded to captain, and now he's flying the triple seven. So you can you can accelerate your career that way. Um, but you have to look at the fact that in reality, you need to build some time and become competitive and to become competitive. The best thing to do, if you're going to go to the majors is to have a four year degree and have as much time as you can. There is nothing that substitutes for flight time. And that's really important to know. And you know, another thing too, and you mentioned regional airlines there, you can make a career at the regionals. I mean, I, I don't see why people don't look at that and, you can make really, really good money. I was just discussing this with another captain. You know, it's not bad. You know, a ten-year captain at a regional airline. Yeah, you're you're making low one hundred. You know, maybe ninety, eighty thousand a year. But you know, you're not making what you're going to make at the majors. But still, that's a pretty darn good living. Um, and and you might be having fifteen, twenty days off a month, and that's pretty terrific. So. I, I don't, and here's, oh, here's another thing too. We talk about the regional airlines. The majority of flights these days are done by the regionals. And I hate to use that term regional because they're really contract flyers. Because I know myself, uh, working for the regional airlines, I've actually flown in three different countries in one day. You know, wake up in Mexico, go over to the United States and land in, say, the Caribbean or land in Canada. So you, you go through customs two, three times in one day. And that's not really regional flying. We've taken these small jets and have pushed their limits and flown. You know, I, I've flown in a regional jet into four different time zones, you know, in one day. Uh, so there's, there are those, those aspects of the job people don't realize. It's like, well, you know, you just go back and forth between two small cities. And it's, no, not really. And then there's, you know, again, with the regional flying, there's people that like to fly the props, which are normally the shorter hops. But you know what's cool? They're home every night. A yeah. lot of times they're home every night. So that's another option. You know, there's many different options there. But, you know, traditionally, though, you're going to make more money. The bigger the plane, the more money you'll make, period. Right. That's just the way it is. So for those who may not know, what is a regional airline? What's the difference between a regional airline and, you know, um, United Airline or, or Lufthansa? Well, the, the the difference is, you know, the the government defines the re, or a major airline based on how many billions of dollars they make. There are regionals out there that are bigger than some majors, oh. in the traditional sense. You know, the legacy airlines, uh, I think, is a, a better term for it. There's the legacy airlines are doing usually the longer hauls. The regionals are usually feeding those legacy airlines, but that's not always true. A lot of us say the the regionals, quote unquote. They're taking people and doing a lot of point-to-point -point flying that the majors can't do because on a certain route, they can only put, say, 50 or 70 feet people in an airplane where they're going to use a, a regional jet in that case. But we're really blurring the lines now as to what the regional is and what the major is, and that's the next big step because in the major airlines, they're looking at scope, scope meaning the size of the airplane you can fly, and they're saying, okay, now you're a major, you can fly 
a hundred seats or more, that's a major airline, and anything below that isn't. Well, you know, think about it. You know, was a DC three had what thirty seven seats, and that's considered a regional. But before that, used to be considered a major airline. Exactly. Uh, but it's it's really it's fascinating to see that um, there's some major there's some regional airlines out there that do more flights than the actual major itself. As a matter of fact, it, uh, that's somewhat common because you're doing more flights. Not as you may not be carrying as many people, but you're doing more flights than the actual major that you're you're feeding to. And the other big difference is, and this is usually how people classify it: the major airline is the person that sells the tickets. The regional or the feeder airline is the one that does the flying for those people, and it's like a code share agreement. The regional does not sell the tickets. Oh, so would American Eagle be considered regional? Right, exactly, because they're not selling the tickets. American Airlines sells the tickets, so American Eagle would be the regional in that case, because they don't sell. You don't you don't call you know American Eagle. You don't call somebody like Cape Air for a ticket. Well, that that's not totally true. They actually sell some tickets at Cape Air, but primarily they're flying for a couple other companies. Cape Air is. I think they're flying for like Continental or excuse me United, and I think they're flying for JetBlue. Uh, so you're you're looking at that. That's they're contracting out their their work to all these other airlines. If you look at somebody as big as United, I mean, what is it now? They're up to eight, nine, ten or so different carriers that actually work for them. Pretty phenomenal, and uh, and it's kind of cool because as as a contract pilot, you actually can work for all these different airlines. You know, I've had friends that have worked as contract pilots and uh, have flown under three different airlines in one day. Wow. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, you just jump off one, you go to the next one, you jump off another, you go to the next one, you you get to the terminal in, in Los Angeles, say you're flying for, what is it, United, and then there's a Delta there, and you walk across the terminal, you get on a Delta flight, and you do a Delta flight. It, it's, it's pretty odd, so uh, you, you kind of kind of, when you make an announcement, make sure you, you remember that you're saying, welcome aboard Delta Airlines, not not United. <laughs> no, 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 it's very embarrassing. I, a long, long time ago, I did that once. I, I said, welcome aboard, you know, United Airlines or something like that, flight number so-and-so, and and uh, I was actually a, a Delta flight, and the flight attendant decided to take a big piece of paper and write the airline name on it for the rest of the trip. I was very embarrassed by it. I hid in the cockpit after doing that. Yeah, it's me. <laughs> Like me calling, uh, saying the wrong tail number. Exactly. Oops. <laughs> Oops. I'm not in the Sierra. I'm in the light sport on uh, the sport cruiser today. Um, now, define contract um, pilot. You, you said contract pilot fly for different airlines. So, uh, th- is this person uh, working for a, a specific airline? Yes. Or- yeah. It's the it's the airline that's contracting out to the yeah. major. Yeah. There are contract pilots too, but that's a whole different ballgame. What I'm talking about is the regional actually has a contract with a major and says for a certain number of years, we're going to do this type of flying for you. And that, that can be changed throughout the contract. But there's always a contract that's set up between the regional and the major. Uh, but contract flying in and of itself, now, you know, just to get off the side here, that's pretty good too, because there's a lot of folks out there that do that. Say you're an experienced uh, captain on a 737, you can do some contract flying and make some really, really good money. Uh, just doing jobs, say overseas or even in the U.S. or what's called a day pilot. I've done that before, where yeah. I actually would day day. You know, if I flew, you know, King Air, and they would pay me X amount of dollars per day. Wow. But it's not consistent work. Uh, it can be, depending on how good you are. And usually it works into a, a full-time job. But there are people that work for, like, uh, management companies where they manage the airline, or excuse me, the airplane, privately owned airplanes, and they provide the pilots. 
and the pilots work as a contractor for that company or they work as an employee for that company that's actually managing that airplane. And they'll go from one to the next to the next. They'll fly for an attorney for five years. Then they'll fly for another manufacturing company. But their their paycheck's not coming from the company they're flying for. It's coming from the management company. There's quite a few of those out there. Another, yet another career somebody can make. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's uh, And that's a lot of people traditionally call that corporate flying. But right. corporate flying, again, that can be defined in so many. It, business aviation is a better way to say it. You know, there's many business aviation is is actually something that we haven't talked about. But I tell you what it is, is you're flying for a specific business and you're moving people, parts and other different items between points. And you're saying you're actually part of that organization, which is really cool. And you're talking to those people and you're you are becoming a part of that company, which is really neat. Whereas with with an, say, an airline job, and this is what, what turns some people off to the airline jobs is you. The people in the back, you really don't get to talk to on an individual basis. But on, a say, a corporate level, you're very intimately involved with the person you're flying with. You know, you're telling them exactly where they're going and what they're doing. And it's a lot different. I mean, some of these corporate jobs are pretty cool. I mean, some of the airplanes you're flying are amazing. Uh, I've, I've done, you know, I've flown a Hawker uh, 800XP, and that was uh, just a neat, neat corporate jet to fly. And the, some of these, some of these planes actually have gyms in the back where the, you know, the people will be able to work out and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. What I've heard about corporate flying is that typically they fly, uh, the nicer or the most up to date airplanes. Yeah. Usually that's, that's very true is that they will be flying those, but not always. I mean, I did a, I did a corporate gig where we had an old war out, uh, you know, C90. Um, but that's that usually, yes. Yeah. You're right. They usually get the, the nicer airplanes and, uh, you do get to do that, but there there are some corporate gigs where you're flying, and that's another thing you have to understand. Business aviation, we, you know, I was in partners with a, a 182 where one of the people there actually flew his plane for his business. So here's a 182 that's being used in their business. So corporate flying can go from anything from a 172, 182 all the way up to a 737. So you have to. There's a huge range of the different planes that you can fly. But again, you have to be a very personable person to do the corporate flying. Here, oh, here's another interesting one. Look at the casino. I have a friend that just went to work for a casino. And one of the parts of that business a lot of people don't realize is that there are high rollers or there are specific – I don't know if you want to call them high rollers, but they have customers that they fly around in like 747s and DC-10s and – Learjets, and they'll they'll fly them all over to their casinos because they're going to spend a lot of money when they get to the casino. They have a, I think it was a seven forty seven with sixty seats in it or something. It's just absolutely ridiculous, uh, and just amazing the, the the poshness of these these aircraft. But there's another avenue you can go. There's there's so many different ways that people use these airplanes and and flying even dignitaries around heads of states and, and stuff like that. It's it's pretty neat. I knew a guy who who flew the the head of the uh, for the military, he flew uh, the commandant of the Marines, and we haven't even talked about military flying, but that's a whole other ball game. You know, that's probably not uh, pertinent to the audience here, but it might be. I mean, because there are people that say, "Hey, wait a minute, I'm flying. I'm going to go fly. Uh, I want to go fly fighters." I had a buddy of mine did that, and he was a flight instructor. And says, "You know what? I'm going to try to do it," and he got in. I was like, "That's cool." So he actually got to fly F-16s. I was like, "Oh, that's neat. That's really really cool." So I guess you can make a living. Uh at a regional airline, you know, I think that's important because yeah. 
I think we 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 try to we downplay that too much, and you know I, I've mentioned that a lot is that how little you make as a first officer, but uh, you can definitely make a decent living at the regionals. And uh, you know I won't say how much I make, but I know back in was it '06 was the first year I ever made over a hundred thousand a year as a regional airline pilot. So it's it's doable. It's just that you have to put a lot more hours in than a guy that's making more money. A good example is say an average. Uh, Regional pilot that's got 10 years makes about $80 per hour, and a major would make about $130, $160 per hour. So you're making about half what a major airline pilot would make as a captain. But if the lifestyle is better, the better balance of your life, uh, maybe living in a different, you know, a different area outside of New York, you know, you have to look at the whole picture. When, when I talk to people about jobs in general is I always found if you chase the money, Sometimes you, most of the times you lose. It's the whole balance of your life. So just, you know, making large, a lot of money in the major airlines is great. Don't get me wrong. Making a lot of, a lot of money is great. But making less money in a regional is not necessarily bad. No. You know, the whole balance no. thing. Sure. And people, you know, look to, you know, look at the regionals as a step, stepping stone to the majors. But you, as you clearly stated, you can make a decent living as a regional airline pilot. There's nothing wrong with that. And I, my old flight instructor, one of my old flight instructors, and my ground school instructor that I mentioned earlier are both flying for regionals today, and they love it. They're they're happy. They wanted to get, they wanted to pursue a career in aviation, and they did. They're flying regional airlines, uh, regional jets right now, and they they absolutely love it. So. It is a. It doesn't have to be a stepping stone. It can be a very good destination, an endpoint, and you can make a good living and have a nice life flying in the regionals. Oh, most definitely. You know, the the most senior guys on on certain of these lists will get twenty days off a month. They're making really good money, and they're happy. They get a lot of vacations, and so. Life is pretty good for these folks that are flying as, say, captains at the regionals. I, and, you know, something to add to that, I do find that at all the different regionals I've gone to and talked to people, there's a good 20 percenters uh, that actually stay there and aren't moving on. Because they see what happens is this, is that you get into your lifestyle, just like everybody else here that was looking at a career change, you get into this lifestyle of having a bigger house, cars, etc. You're making good money as a regional airline captain. Now you're going to go to the majors. And you're gonna your pay is gonna be about thirty percent of what you were making as a regional airline captain, as a senior regional airline captain. Now you have to start all over again, and they don't want to do that, and, or they can't do it. Say they they have other obligations in life, you know, kids, family, that type of thing, and they can't take that huge of a cut in pay. And they get the security of being on the top of a seniority list because the first people that go off the list are the ones at the bottom. So you give up a lot of different things there, and that's that's something that exactly what you were talking about, changing a career midlife, you have to figure out, you know, what am I giving up here, and can I do that financially? And can you, you know, what I did personally, I put myself into a financial position where I could do that myself and go out and fly full-time, and some other people I talked to that did the same thing I did, they also put themselves in a financial position where they saved enough money to live on for three to five years, that type of thing. Let's talk about changing careers in midlife, in your 40s. Yeah, that, that, it's funny because that's that's something I, I hear a lot of. Or their 30s. You know, I changed mine full-time when I was 33, 
as when I changed to aviation full time. And that's that's a it's a tough decision, but it, it all a lot of it I feel personally goes to your financial planning. Uh, you know, I, I really think that your financial health is very important if you're getting in this type of job. It's similar since I've owned a business. It's similar to owning a business where you have to make sure that you can pay your bills, and you have to be very very conservative with your money as opposed to somebody that has a job that pays every week and you know that paycheck's coming every week. You know, in a business, say you're a business owner and you're listening to this, you know that you got to pay your employees first before you get paid at all. I mean, there's weeks that can go by where you don't get a paycheck. It's kind of the same way with aviation. You have to be extremely conservative with the money. Now, a lot of cases, you have the support of your family and friends, so you might be able to get by fairly easily. Uh, but it, it, it's it's a, there's another part of this, too. When you're younger, you put up with things more than you do when, when you're older. For instance, you go to college, you have a roommate. You live, you know, you remember how you lived in college. You know, it was a lot different than you, than you live nowadays. And, you know, you're not, some people don't like to go going back to that. You know, I actually rented rooms and homes when I got started flying for the regional airlines. And I was basically living out of my car. All of my possessions I would put in a car and I moved, you know, I was in three different time, lived in three different time zones in three years. And so I just made sure everything could fit in my car and I'd go and I'd rent rooms in all these different areas that I, I worked and all these different airlines I worked for. So those are the things you have to look at. And, you know, if, even if you're working as a, for an airline, you know, there, you have to get what's called a crash pad and you're going to be living in a room with a whole bunch of other people. So th- those are things to think about, especially in your forties, you know, cause you're kind of set in your ways by then, you know? Yep. Yeah. So. <laughs> Like anything else, you really, really have to plan for it. Uh, like you said, your financial health, you have to make sure that you have the finances or the help of family and friends to be able to do it. It, it like anything else, uh, that's worthwhile. It's, it may not be easy, but you have to work at it. Now, I keep hearing about this pilot shortage. Is that, is it true? And if it is, when will it occur? Well, here it's interesting. The word pilot shortage, I, I think, is uh, there. There's always a a hiring, a large amount of hiring during certain times, and we tend to call that a pilot shortage. Uh, you just have to understand where that pilot shortage is going to be. In other words, where are they going to be doing most of the hiring? The major airlines, for instance, people think that when there's a pilot shortage, that they're going to get their commercial pilot's license and then they're going to go to the major airlines. Well, it doesn't happen that way because you have to, when the air, major airlines start hiring a lot, it's going to actually be people out there that have a lot of experience. You're going to be competing with guys that have eight to 10,000 hours and you have 500 hours. So who's the major going to take the person with eight to 10,000? So really the jobs are going to happen in the regionals. Now, why is that? Why are the jobs going to be in the regionals? Well, the major is going to hire the regional pilots, and the regional is going to have to go to the street to find their pilots or other places. But what's the true reason for this? Well, a couple things. Number one, if you look at the age of the pilots at the airlines, you can only work till you're 65, and there's going to be a lot of retirement. Some airlines are going to be retiring you know, dozens of people every week. Uh, for years, and that's going to happen in certain airlines. You, certain other airlines are not going to do that. You have to look at that. There are certain airlines, especially new airlines, that have a very young pilot group. You're not going to you're not going to move up except for expansion. Whereas with say uh, a Delta, United, American, they have a lot of older people there. They're going to have to retire when those retirements start happening, which they're about to start happening. Then you're going to see a lot of hiring. 
But if you're planning on going to the majors right away, it, it might take you a while. You know, you, you might look at it in five years. You might look at it in three years. It depends. But it's, it's not going to happen overnight. So you're going to look at, you're looking at the regionals are going to start hiring. The corporates are, guys are going to start hiring because there's a lot of corporate guys going to say, Hey, listen, you know, corporate pilots are going to say, I'm going to go over and fly for the airlines now. I don't, I don't like flying for the, the corporations. So there's going to be a lot of movement. Uh, and there's going to be some openings. But the other thing that's going to happen here too is you're going to have, some more openings because of certain rest rules that have been put in place. That's going to have some impact, not like the, the age 65, but it'll definitely have an impact on the number of people that, that can act or how long people can fly. So you're going to need more air, more pilots to fly those airplanes because they can't fly as long as they used to because they're going to have to rest more. And that makes sense. And then you're also going to have some issues with, and, and this is, this is going to be interesting what happens with, with our government and what we're going to do. They're, they're now requiring you to have your ATP when you get hired with a regional airline or any airline, excuse me. And that's an interesting requirement because if you looked at some of the majors even, they didn't have to have their ATP at some of the major airlines to get hired. So where are they going to find those pilots? And if we look at the pilot population in general, it hasn't grown. It's actually shrunk somewhat. Right. And that's what they're going to pull from is the general population of pilots. There's going to be people like you and anybody who's looking at a career change and that's the that's what they're going to look at is that pool plus the people that are going to look at getting into it as a career. You know, the the one thing though I, I'd like to add to this is don't just look at the the pilot shortage. Look at the pilot shortages. There's going to always be shortages at one point. There's going to be hiring cycles. There dips, and and there's valleys, and then all of a sudden you're going to go up on the crest, and then you're going to they're going to stop. There are some airlines that'll hire and hire hundreds of people for months, and then not hire anybody for eight years. You know, they have people on furlough at certain airlines that have been on furlough for eight, nine years. I, I know guys have been furloughed since 9-11. Really? And that's a long time to be on furlough. You know, we're, so, you, 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 but that same airline, say, is going to all of a sudden have this huge amount of hiring that's going to happen. So, again, what you need to really do is make yourself available for the jobs and and competitive for those jobs. And by to do that, you have to build as much time as you can. And you have to prepare yourself for that, that quote unquote shortage. Uh, a good example is I have a friend that he got hired with a regional airline. He had 5,000 hours to get on with the regional and that was competitive at the time he got hired. And then you look two years later and they're hiring people with 500 hours. Wow. Big difference. Huge difference. So again, it, it goes inside the hiring. It goes in cycles. It goes up and down, up and down. And it, it goes somewhat with the economy. It leads and lags it, but it it does have the cycles, and it's very much affected by the growth and the retirements. And you know, I have my instructor who came out of Vietnam. Boy, he he couldn't get a job, you know, because there were so many people out there, and things were slowing down. So you put yourself in that position so that you get hired during that wave of hiring. You get in there as quick as possible because that door shuts, and it shuts quickly, and it stops for years. Uh, there's uh, some airlines haven't haven't hired for since the beginning of the recession, you know, that type of thing. So that's years and years, you know, that you're going to be stuck in the position you're in, which means that you better enjoy what you're doing. <laughs> you know, don't don't just take any flying job. Take a job you, you think you would enjoy and uh, and stick with that. So what is causing this pilot shortage? Is it that everyone who was at 60 at the time that they changed the rule to 65, uh, the year that uh, the age that you can retire, are they all retiring at the same time? Um, what, what about seniority? Uh, once these, how is that going to affect the pilots coming in with this pilot shortage? 
Well, they're, the, the age 65 change just put off this uh, wave of hiring. I, I think that's probably a better term to use, a wave of hiring than pie-out shortage, is that there, in other words, we it was going to happen a couple of years ago, now it's going to happen. You know, there's going to be a lot of retirements. Again, those retirements will be filled with people from, say, the regional airlines, from the corporate flying, that type of thing. Uh, seniority is an interesting thing that that's a whole other discussion, which real quickly, seniority is based on the date you're hired, and that's it. So you come in, and seniority, you come in with, say there's 3,000 pilots, you're number 3,000, okay? Right. And say 1,000 people retire that year. Now you've gone up, right? And they had to hire 1,000 people behind you. So now you've gone up in the seniority list. But the, the real determination as to how high you can get on the seniority list is how old you are when you get hired and how old the people are above you on the seniority list. Right. Because the only way that they roll off is based on age. You don't get up, you aren't upgraded because of the fact that you did a great job flying. You're upgraded because your seniority number came up, period. It's, uh, when you go, obviously you have to perform well when you do the upgrade. But, and, and the airlines specifically hire captains. They don't hire first officers for that because of that fact, because everybody's going to probably upgrade or a lot of people will. But you won't, you know, it's strictly, strictly based on the number of people. So if they need a certain number of captains, that's how many captains they have. And if your seniority number holds a captain slot, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, that's, it's not based on who you are. It's based on your seniority number. That's a tough, tough pill to swallow for, for a lot of people. That being said, if I was in an airline and I was had years in, in, invested in the airline and I had a certain seniority number, I would not leave that airline. No. But then I would be back at the bottom or potentially lower than where I was at this new airline. Oh, yeah, and that's a big risk you take. There are no lateral moves in the airlines. You start over again at the bottom. And that's something you have to understand. Like in, in most jobs, if you have 10 years experience, you go into another job where it requires 10 years experience. Not in the airlines. You know, I, I, uh, I know guys that, uh, I know one individual who's with DHL flying a 767 has 11,000 hours. Now he's making what, $25,000 as a regional first officer because he lost his job. And wow. that's a, it's a huge change. I mean, he was making a lot more money and he had to start over. He's starting at the bottom. Now you don't ever, take away their time. In other words, say when the majors start hiring more, he'll be one of the first people to go, even though he's a first officer with a regional airline. He's been at the majors already. He's been flying larger equipment. But with that said, you know, when he goes to the major, another major airline, he again starts at the bottom of the list. And that's where they furlough off is the bottom of the list. And it's uh, that's just the way it is. I mean, that's uh, that'll never change. And it's not because it's a union or non-union shop. It happens even in the corporate world. Uh, that you actually are, you upgrade based on how many, how many years of service you have. When the corporate world is a little different, you can be hired as a captain, but you'll never get hired as a captain with a major. I shouldn't say never. You most likely will not get hired as a captain with a major. There are certain instances where you can, uh, especially if you're doing contract uh, flying for an airline. But contract flying mean as an individual, say for a foreign airline or, or another airline that, uh, say doesn't have those seniority rules, which is far and few between. If I'm a uh, career changer later in life, um, let's say I'm in my 50s, early, let's say I'm 50, 45, 50. If I have the right <clears throat> excuse me, number of hours and I get hired by an airline, I'm at the bottom of the seniority list and I don't have the, ma- the, the time 
to be able to potentially get up higher than someone who started younger than me. Correct. My age sort of limits how high I can get up in the seniority list of an airline. Exactly. That's exactly how it works. And that's something you have to look at at the airline that you want to work for. How many people are going to be senior to you? You know, if you're, if you're getting hired at 50 and there's a whole bunch of people that are in their 30s and 40s that are, are captains or above you on the seniority list, you'll never get ahead of those people because right. of, of the age uh, limit. But that's okay because you're still, you know, you're still doing something you like to do. You just have to understand that's the limit. I mean, I look, I, that's, hey, I, I was in the same position, man. I, I looked at it and I said, I'm, I'm going to limit myself as to how far I can go based on my age. But then again, I, you know, I really like what I'm doing. You know, so I, it's, it's, it's cool. <laughs> and, and it beats working for a living. You know, it's, it's, you know, people go to, a, and this is something else that I wish every airline pilot could work in an office because there are guys that have no clue what it's like to do to drive to work every day and go to the same desk every day and work in the same building every day. It's, you know, they've become accustomed to, being in all these different cities every night and going out to these different places and saying enjoying the sunrise on the east coast and then enjoying the sunset on the west coast you know you don't really have that with a with an office job well i i know what the office jobs are like you know i i was in computers and and it, it's it's a different scenario not that there's anything wrong with it you know i'm just saying that i i got into a field and i love the outdoors and i like seeing people and and i found out that was kind of the wrong thing to get into was doing a desk job all day uh, that's just just me, and there, there's but people love it. I mean, there there is something to be said about consistency. That that can be very frustrating. You know, I always say that you can go home every night and you can wash your clothes, right. and you can sleep in your same bed every night. You can go to your refrigerator and get something out of the refrigerator. You know, right. I I if I first get something at home, I'm not going to see it for another week. You know, because <laughs> and people don't realize that too. Is that another thing is when you work for the airlines, you are paid the same no matter where you live so a lot of folks like myself live in other cities than where they're going to work i live in florida and work in new jersey so every week i get up and i fly to work and my total time door to door is six hours to get to work and then six hours home well that's about 12 hours uh in a week which is somewhat similar to what a lot of people do in a regular job but there's guys that have people that have a lot longer commutes than i do and they might have five-hour flights, that type of thing. But you, you have to realize that that's, that's a choice I've made. I made a choice to commute to work and uh, from somewhere else. But I can take the same pay, live somewhere else, and make a lot more, uh, you know, or have a better lifestyle, I should say, with the same amount of money. And and that's that whole commuting thing is, is something else. Some people, they don't know any better. But I really envy the people that can get off work and they drive home. And right. that's it. They're done. The other, oh, by the way, the other cool thing about this job, as far as flying is concerned, not in the management side, of course, is the fact that, especially with the airlines, when you turn the airplane off and you walk away, you're done. You don't talk to anybody. You don't, you don't deal with anything. You don't have to worry about work until you come back, say four days later to work. Uh, there's, there's very few jobs, especially when you're making that kind of money that you have that. I mean, you know, you, you know, I mean, Yep. There, there's someone that could call you probably in the middle of the night and say, hey, listen, something happened and we need to fix this, especially when you get up in the corporate world right. and, uh, you know, that that type of thing. But you have to really realize that that's, that's going to be the difference, you know, and, and you really have to make that decision. Is this what what I want to do? And, you know, my I was talking to a captain the other day 
And he said, you know, his friends are making a lot of money working for these big corporations. But he says, you know, I really, I love flying. I mean, that's all I've wanted to do since I was like six years old. And uh, I talked to the first officer and he said, you know, he loves it too. But he was a, he was a career changer also. And he was in accounting. But you know what? He actually goes and he does work as an accountant part time. And that's something else too. Now we go the other way. How about working for an airline and doing something else part time? You know, we all do other things part time, it seems. You know, I, I do some, you know, flight instructing, consulting, and I also, you know, I do some real estate. Right. And uh, that that's uh, almost every airline pilot does that because you have so much time off. And that, that's a good point. So looking at the salary that you could make, you would be making at a regional airline is is only part of the equation. Like, right. you know, if, if you're... If you're into photography, you can have that as a side job. If you like to play music, maybe you can be in a band or you can sell real estate or you can uh, be an accountant or other things. You can maybe combine two of your passions or interests together, being a uh, regional airline pilot or major airline pilot and do something else you still like. I'm, I'm glad you said that. It's it's very true. You can do and and most people do. They have so many other, like, for instance, me, I'm, I'm podcasting all the time and I'm blogging and I love doing that and, uh, don't make a whole bunch of money doing it, but I like it, you know, and I, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. You don't make money doing it? I'm going to retire soon. (laughs) Well, actually I make some, but that's from advertisers and, and sponsors. But other than that, no, I mean, it's not, you know, there's, you you really have to, um, you have to kind of get yourself established and, you know, people think of podcast. There's a, a good example, podcasting, like we're doing. They think, oh, you're going to make a, a ton of money. No, you, it's going to be years before you do anything like that. And, you know, it, and it may not be from the podcast. It might be from other things that you do. You know, I find out most of my consulting work, et cetera, is driven from my podcast. And, and I get students quite a bit from the podcast. So it's, it's, it's something that drives something to my business, that type of thing, which is another thing that, that, you know, we could talk about is the fact that there's so many instructors out there that have podcasts and blogs and they have business driven to them because of that. Right. And it's it's awesome. Uh, you know, Rich Stoll, he's a, he's a good example. You know, he's got a lot off his website doing uh, spin training and, and upset recovery. And he's terrific. He's awesome. And he there there's so many different ways to, to make some money. And it's it's limitless. It, it's limited by your imagination as to what you can do as a pilot to make money. And that's the that's the bottom line there. And you can do it as a pilot as an air for an airline. You can do it flight instructing. You can do it towing banners. You can have your own little business teaching people how to do tail draggers. Or you can work at, a, at an airport, at an FBO, or as an airport manager. But you can you can do it. You really can. You know, you just basically summed it up perfectly. Do you want to just give us a little little bit more information about your other endeavors, Stuck Mike Avcast, which I tell you, I know I know Rick personally. I know you and Len personally. Victoria, I've met at um, Potapalooza at Oshkosh. It is one of the top three podcasts out there. I'm telling you, it, it, it is a tremendous, enjoyable podcast. Uh, and your expert aviator blog, blog, you know, it was a great place to go and learn about aviation. Why don't you tell us a little bit about each of, of those endeavors? Sure, sure. And, and, you know, just as a closing on the aviation careers, the, mo- the most important thing to remember is the path to that career goal is your own. And it's very, it's varied. Everybody's is different. And so you really need to keep that in mind is that you defined your career path, you define your goal, 
and you reach that goal and don't try to go towards somebody else's goal, go to your own goal, the one that you want to do and something that you'll love to do. And I think that's really important for anybody in any career is that define your own goal, something that's going to make you feel worthy. It's going to make you feel good at the end of the day. And that's the most important thing. But but thanks for the, I mean, the, the kind comments about Stuck Mike Avcast. I want to talk about that first. I tell you, the Stuck Mike Avcast is basically about learning to fly and, and living the aviation lifestyle and basically loving to fly. We We are all passionate aviators and we are from various backgrounds. We have a private pilot and we have somebody who has a commercial looking towards their CFI and we have two airline pilots. And, and we love to talk all things aviation, all things general aviation. We like to bring some experience from the airlines, say we're talking instrument flying, but, but we really love to talk to anybody who's involved in flying. And we do, we do basically product recommendations at the end, but we also every so often like to interview somebody. And we have had some amazing people on the show. And the conversations we have are terrific in that we will take apart flights and go from point A to point B and we'll learn about a specific topic, say it's flying to Canada or, you know, what do I need to do to, to look towards a school, you know, as far as flying and, and getting my private pilot's license. What was it like to fly in Alaska? Those type of things. And I, I think that's, that's what's been so much fun. And it, it's been cool to have that varied background of all the people. And we really have finally started really working together. I think not finally, I should say we started really, really working together and started becoming really comfortable with each other. And that's at the stuck That's the easiest way to, to find us. And it's also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, my blog, expertaviator.com, I just put together to help people along. I try to do one lesson every week or two where I teach somebody something. It's usually people write in with questions that are very technical about flying. So it's, it's primarily about flying. It's also about the lifestyle, the aviation lifestyle, you know, what you can do with your private pilot certificate and kind of thinking outside the box as to where you can go and, and things you can see and, and what we can learn about aviation, even from a historic museum. You can learn something about aviation. And that's the expert aviator site. And the, and the one that, of course, we're talking about today is aviationcareerspodcast.com. And that's uh, that's something that I could see myself doing for the next 20 years at least. I may, I've been doing this aviation careers counseling for the past 10 years. I can easily keep it going for the next 20. And I have dozens and dozens of different things I want to tell people. I and I have days and days worth of, of material I want to relate to people, but I can do it in shorter segments, of course, uh, 30, 30 minutes to an hour at a time. And I really want to share with people the very, the various different avenues they can go towards in careers. Just like we talked today, this was terrific. And in, in your bringing the listeners through this path, these many different paths they can go on as far as their aviation careers. And what's, what's cool is that I get because of the fact that I've worked with the leaders in the industry, and I have some incredible sponsors that get me to these events like the Regional Airline Association events and to all of these other different type of, whether it's industry events or it's getting together with a specific person at an airline or a specific person at the FBO that does the hiring. I talk to these people, these HR representatives, and I say, hey, listen, what's it like to be, what's it like to get hired? How do I get hired with this FBO with this airline, with this corporate job. And then I go to pilots, I go to mechanics, and I talk to them and I say, what is it you do? So that's that's where we go with Aviation Careers Podcast. But the, the most important thing about the podcast to me 
is that it enables people to define their own career goal. You know, it it enables them to to go out there and find out about a job because you know what? I never had anybody tell me that when I was in high school. I had no idea what it was like to fly an airplane for a living, what it was like to be a mechanic. And that's what I'm hoping to do. I want people to find out what it's truly like to be in that job, what it's like to pursue that specific career. And that's it's easy to find, just Aviation Careers Podcast. And I, I hope you'll you'll listen in. I hope you, your listeners will, will take a look at it. And, you know, I'd love to hear feedback and, and any questions about uh, aviation careers. And, and, you know, Robert, you sent one in, and, and I think it's it's been very helpful. I mean, I've had listeners write me and say, hey, listen, that was that was great. I'm glad you asked answered Robert's question. That's helped me a lot. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help other people define their goal in aviation and define their career goal in aviation and, and, and help them along the path. I think it's great, you know, just by you talking about all the different careers and how to, how to do it. You give people options and ideas. And like you said, they can make up their own minds and figure out how to pursue their passion in their career because it's not cookie cutter. It's not the same for everyone. But if you have enough information and the right information or the person that you can go to to ask the questions to get the information, then you can make an intelligent decision and make the right career choice. When I was in high school, I always wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be a military pilot. I wanted to go into the Air Force. I had no idea that you could become a private pilot on your own. I thought you had to go through the military. I was, uh, I applied for the Air Force Academy. I was uh, nominated, but it was not accepted. So th- right then and there, I thought my, my uh, dream of becoming an airline pilot or pilot in general was crushed. It wasn't until much later in life that I realized that you can actually get your own private pilot license without going to through the military. And it's like you said, nobody was there to guide me or answer my questions. And I think your podcast fills that need, fills that void where people can understand about all the different careers and more importantly, have somebody that they can go to and ask those questions. And I think it's a tremendous podcast. And Carl, I thank you for doing it. I wish you would have done it when I was younger. <laughs> uh, May, you know, I think you will help. You're going to help a lot of people, and I and um, hopefully I'll can get my son to listen to it, and maybe he can uh, uh, figure out which way he wants to go in his life. But I really appreciate Carl. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, answering my questions, talking about aviation careers, and uh, I just want to thank you. And uh, keep up the great work. It's a tremendous podcast. Well, thanks, Robert. I really appreciate it. And I, I hope we're doing some good here at uh, Aviation Careers Podcast. And it's not just me. It's all those other people that have helped us and have, have volunteered to come on the show and, and relate what they do. And I, I'm, I'm glad it's helped you, and I'm glad it's helping everybody else because that's why we're here. And I think it is. And, you know, thank you, and I appreciate your time. Well, as you can tell from that interview, Robert really is passionate about aviation he loves flying. He loves sharing flying with other people. And, you know, since Robert and I discussed changing careers midlife and the challenges you might face in both making the decision to change careers and then pursuing a new career, I have a pertinent recommendation. The book Coach Yourself to a New Career gives you the tools to take matters into your own hands by assessing your needs and strengths, finding the right work fit, weighing options and possible sacrifices, and preparing your family for the transition. This book is packed with expert advice and helpful examples from the author's many statistical clients as well as her own career change process. The author shows how anyone can reinvent 
their professional life. Coach Yourself to a New Career offers a seven-step approach to career reinvention and practical advice for a smooth transition. Profiles of everyday people who achieve career reinvention on their own terms and what their stories can teach you, it shows you how to assess your needs and strengths, helps you decide what tough decisions or sacrifices you may have to make, and prepares your spouse or family for the transition. The author shares her own story of launching her coaching business with careful planning, hard work, commitment, and faith. She shows how you can follow others' examples to achieve the professional life you want. And that's what we do here at Aviation Careers Podcast. We want you to discover what it is you want to do and make those decisions and decide whether those sacrifices are for you. Well, folks, I really enjoyed talking to you today. I hope you come and like us on Facebook you can get information not only on the podcast episodes, but also other careers and other jobs that are available. And also go to Flying Careers at Twitter. And of course, the best way to get in touch with me is at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contact. I would love to hear your questions and also suggestions for upcoming episodes or for possible interviews. And also, anything else that you want to say about aviation careers or careers in general and making that transition, you can share your story here. And if you don't want to come on air, well, I'll just share your story by reading it to the folks. Well, I really appreciate your listening to us today, and I hope you'll come back again and enjoy another episode so that you can better understand whether you want to make the transition or start a career in aviation. Safe flying, and we'll talk to you again next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.